Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that did make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisniaks. Listeners, today I'm very excited to welcome a first for this show. We have a romance author, Sarah Locke. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, it's exciting to be here. Yeah, I am super happy to have you here. Uh, we've known each other for a year and some amount of time. Time is fake, who knows? Especially uh, in a pandemic. Especially in a pandemic. Uh, and when I said, hey, I need people to go on book tour with me, you said, I want to do that. And I was like, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I memory serves i said if i can actually get this book wrapped up and turned in in time which i managed my partner was like i love you don't ever schedule a book release in the middle of a pandemic again which is fair fair yeah absolutely fair but it was it provided the uh necessary encouragement to get it done on time i'm not saying Mm -hmm. i'm the only reason it got done on time but Definitely a factor. Uh, Also, the, like, 101 pre-orders that I didn't want people to miss out on, but the the podcast was definitely a major factor. Awesome. Uh, Well, you are going to be reading an excerpt of this book, and this is Blue Line by Ariel Bishop, a.k.a. Sarah Locke. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is the fifth book in my tripping series of hockey romances. Uh, I started publishing them in 2018. Time is fake. Um, and so we have, uh, in this book, we have a defenseman who has just gotten traded to a new team who has been uh, bouncing around the professional league for a while and would really like a place to call home, uh, but is not confident that it will happen. And we have a goalie who is really tired of getting blamed for him t- his team losing when the defense <laughs> are not really doing their job so well. Um, and the excerpt I'm going to read is uh, takes place after the Seth, the defenseman, and t- Tico, the goalie, have done a uh, PR video together, and a good proportion of the fan base is like, are they dating? They must be dating. <laughs> and and so the PR people are like, so we are not trying to pressure you to do this in any way, but we want you to know that this is a narrative that's out there, and this is the conversation that they are having about whether or not they want to pretend to be dating uh, so that they get asked about something other than why the team is losing. Love a good fake dating. Yes, it's a favorite. I can't believe it took me to book five to get to this. <laughs> All right, so... Let's see here. So we're going to jump right in mid-conversation. So neither of us has to, if we don't want. Tico pauses long enough for Seth to nod. What do you want? Do you want to do this? Pretend? Seth sucks in a breath, reaching for a fry. I... He bites his lips, swallowing hard before finally lifting his eyes. (laughs) It's dumb, and I might be wrong, but... They probably won't send me down if we're doing this. And I... Tycho nods, not needing the sentence to be finished out loud. After looking up Seth's record, after his own memories of being sent down for more development, in Seth's position, he'd be grasping at the same straws. So you want to. But if you don't, don't do it for me. 
The sincerity in Seth's eyes is so clear and sharp that something aches in Tuco's chest. I'm playing okay. And anyway, that's the game. Hmm. Yeah, it comes out as more of a sigh than a word. But might be nice. Get asked about a relationship instead of dumb questions. Why do you think you lost tonight? I don't know. Maybe because 50 shots on goal and I only stopped 48? <laughs> he swallows back the rest of the words, bitter and acrid in the back of his throat. When he finally dares to look up at Seth, though, he doesn't see recrimination or mockery. It almost looks like understanding. So, Seth reaches for his drink, breaking eye contact. If I want to, and you want to, Tico takes a breath. So, we're doing it? I guess so. Seth lifts his glass, waiting until Tico gets the idea and clinks his own against it. To us. I'm going to be the best fake boyfriend you've ever had. And, well, Tico's a professional athlete. He didn't make it to the CHL without being competitive. You think you're a better fake boyfriend than me? <laughs> Seth smirks at him. The cocky expression should not be nearly as attractive as it is, and Tico has a sinking feeling that he might be in over his head. I guess we'll find out. Swallowing, Tico reaches for his own plate. I guess we will. <laughs> oh, that is delicious and delightful. I really had a lot of fun with this book, even though I ended up stopping and starting several times due to life and everything. So I am very pleased that I managed to finish it and get uh, my poor, uh, anxious, depressed kids a happy ending. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, with like stopping and starting there are always things that end up getting cut out of the final product. And do you have any favorite bits that didn't make it into this book that, uh, or favorite bits that you're going to try to figure out how to work into the next one? Uh, well, kind of. So in this case, an entire companion novel. Oh, <laughs> Got left out. But, well, not left out, but I actually started writing Blue Line and the companion novel Fictitious at the same time. And I would write one chapter of each and go back and forth because um, Fictitious is the story of Derek, who used to play hockey with both Tico and Seth at various times, and Will, who was Seth's defense partner in college who are both now authors and are on book tour together and have a lot of feelings about it. Oh. Uh, and so I actually was writing Blue Line and Fictitious simultaneously when I began in like uh, late 2019, I think. Mm -hmm. And but and that got me to about uh, a third of the way through on both of them. But at that point, I, re um, I didn't. A lot of stuff was happening, like my depression and my anxiety both ratcheted up, uh, and then 2020 happened, yep. right around the time I was starting to get a handle on it, and um, so like, I finally was like, okay, maybe if I just buckle down on one of them, and so I buckled down on Blue Line because Seth was a character that had appeared in the previous book, uh, Two Minutes. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to focus in on Blue Line and see if I could get it finished. And I did. Um, but I still am working on Fictitious. I actually um, 
started like rereading through it yesterday and like making notes because part of the problem with Blue Line, aside from life, the universe, and everything, was just that like I got to a certain point and I realized that like when I was doing my outline, I hadn't known the characters well enough to really know how the later parts mm-hmm. of the book was going to go. And so once I got to that point, I needed to sit down and re outline. Because I kept like looking at my old outline and going, okay, well, if I move this over here and move this over there, but never actually like writing it down. So I couldn't wrap my head around what needed to happen. And I mm-hmm. just kept stalling out. So I was able to like make my outline much more of a living document. And that's, I think, the process I'm going to have to take with Fictitious as well. Because like originally I had the conflict being that one of the characters was much more of a dick than he was actually supposed to be (laughs) and then once i got to know him a little bit i was like no he wouldn't he wouldn't do that so we have to do something else um but yeah so i am excited about fictitious and getting to wrap that up and then start on the next what is actually going to be the last for now book in the tripping series which is uh, the story of the player that everybody gets hates getting traded to his the team where his longtime uh, enemies to fuck buddies person plays. Oh. So <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to yeah, I'm excited to like have Blue Line finished, have it out in the world, and be ready to move on to new stories and, and new worlds for sure. Uh, so along those lines, uh, is there anything, you know, without giving too many spoilers that you absolutely love that you did get to keep in this book? I think my favorite thing is, um, there are elements of BDSM in all of the tripping series, just to greater or lesser extent characters playing with power dynamics and like that being a factor in the growing trust between them and how they come together. Uh, But for this one, I actually got to write two bisexual switches in a relationship (laughs) and it was just really fun because like, it was just very fun. They had a lot of fun with it. They enjoyed it a lot. Um, And I I liked that, and I enjoyed, like, the previous book, Two Minutes, dealt a lot with issues of anxiety and, um, like, emotional and verbal abuse from a parent and how that can Mm -hmm. really, like, mess, get in your head and mess you up and how, like, the healing from that is a real process. Um, But so, with this book... I was able to deal with like more generalized depression and anxiety on the part of the characters in a way that I felt like was really helpful to me as the writer to write it. And so I hope it's also helpful for the readers to read it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the sort of thing that, you know, I, I've talked about this a lot on the show before, but that I am, I've talked a lot, a lot about myself on the show before. This is like <laughs> self-disclosure central. But uh, 
one of the things that like we never talked about in my writing degree or my English minor is like talking about representation and how important that is but mm -hmm. something that I've had a lot of conversations about with all of my writer friends is like how important it is to be able to put parts of ourselves on the page both for ourselves and for our readers mm -hmm. and that's the thing i think that doesn't get talked about as much about like write what you know because a lot of people take it to be like oh you can only write things that like have taken place in your life and that you've experienced and it's mm -hmm. like that's we don't need seven million novels about middle-aged professors that want to bang their students yeah. that's not what this is about but like being I think that like the best writing that I've done has come when I've been able to like you said to put a piece of myself on the page to like look at a character and like no this character is not like me in whatever setting but this character has this piece of themselves that I also have mm -hmm. and like being able to know them and to understand them on that level really has once I figured that out, I feel like I became a much better writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it uh, it really makes it a lot easier to connect with characters in that way when you can, mm -hmm. you know, essentially you are, I mean, we always want to, like, humanize our characters to make them, you know, fully fleshed out people on the page, but... Like, especially being able to empathize with things that are happening in their lives, even if we're the people making those things happen for them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, and I think that, and going back to representation, the first book in my series, uh, Soft Hands, ha one of the leads is Demiromantic. Mm -hmm. And like, that's one of the things that I've gotten the most comments on is people being like, it is really, really nice to see a representation like that. Like, especially in romance novels, you don't see a lot of that. I've actually had a lot of conversations with a friend who is a romantic who writes romance novels, but is like how they juggle that understanding with their feelings mm -hmm. towards towards romance and towards relationships and I think that that's something we're starting to see more of and I like that self-publishing especially has allowed more authors to tell the stories that they need and that their readers need that like mm -hmm. maybe don't have a big enough audience for traditional publishing to bother with them but there is an audience out there who wants them and who needs them and I think that that's one of my favorite things about the current landscape of publishing is it's becoming much more accessible mm -hmm. in that way. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can, uh, I will totally own the fact that I don't know everything on this, but I feel like in a lot of ways, romance is on the sort of forefront of doing self pub and like really, pushing to get those voices out there yeah it definitely romance is one of the genres where it is the 
I'm not going to say easiest, but you have the most opportunity to find a niche and find your, find your audience. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not easy. It's definitely self-publishing is definitely oversaturated compared to like five, 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. But, um, but it is possible. And like, I mean, I didn't know anything about it to begin with. I just like, I talked to people who had done it and I listened and I learned Mm-hmm. And I learned by doing, and sometimes by being like, "Oh, I shouldn't have done that." But, <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I, and it's, I don't know, it's oddly satisfying. I haven't had a traditional book contract yet, so like, I don't know how it compares. But like, when I look on my shelf and I see the books that I've written, mm-hmm. and like, I am. I didn't have a lot of money to start with, so, like, I'm a one-person shop. Like, I designed the covers. I did the interior layout. I wrote the words. And, like, that, I did that. Mm -hmm. And just seeing, like, the stack of books and being like, I did that. It is, it is a very satisfying feeling. Hell yeah. That, that feels very related to podcasting for Mm -hmm. me, that, like, certainly there are, you know, half the podcasts I listen to are associated with major networks or with NPR or whatever and have, you know, a studio. But mm-hmm. podcasting is, like, very... still has very DIY roots. And, like, you know, you and me, we're just, like... I'm sitting in my home office. Mm-hmm. You're sitting on your couch. Like, we're just making this podcast happen. And, like, the number of skills that I've had to learn uh is like really satisfying and you know it's definitely a lot of work but at the Mm -hmm. end of the day like this is a thing that I'm happy to be doing and like I've talked about before like this show wouldn't exist unless I made it happen like I found this is the niche I want to fill and other people wanted to listen to it yeah yeah absolutely and, like, that reminds me, uh, Holly Lyle, who is an author I've really enjoyed reading, wrote a blog post once that I really enjoyed that talked about how, like, uh, creativity, specifically, like, original fiction, mm-hmm. is a, like, an economic force, like, even aside from, like, the creative and, uh, other benefits to us like we create like something Mm -hmm. we create a product we create something out of nothing and so like the fact that like if you're traditionally published and you have a book that is profitable it get lets the publisher publish other people but like when the what she says is uh when you create something new that has value, the economy expands by the exact value of the thing you've created. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that is something that, like, I try to remember when I'm like, oh, I'm not one of those. Because, like, I have friends who make a living, like, a really good living at self-publishing. I have a lot more that don't. Mm-hmm. but But sometimes it's hard not to be like, why not me? Right. But, but remembering that, like, 
I am creating something that means something to people and that is making a space mm-hmm. for other people to also like do the creative things that feed them and help them grow. It helps a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you're creating a space where uh, you know people get to see themselves or see aspects of themselves in your work, and that's really yeah. important. That is the that is the hope. Like, I definitely one of the reasons that I stalled out a little bit on Blue Line, other than the previously stated is um that there was a lot of talk specifically in romance uh twitter and romance like social publishing social media about like Mm -hmm. specifically about uh cis women writing writing gay romance Mm-hmm. And and so, like, I really sat with that for a while because most of the comments that I've gotten have been positive. And as a queer person, like, I feel a little bit better about that. But there's mm-hmm. still there's still the question of, like, am I being appropriative? Am I handling this subject matter with respect and like is it inappropriate for me to be writing about this and so i did a lot of soul searching and like i'm still a little bit worried that i'm coming down on the wrong side of it but there are a lot of factors for what that make it easier not so much easier more accessible for me mm-hmm. to write about two men falling in love um I grew up in a conservative evangelical Christian cult. Mm-hmm. And so like uh, assigned female at birth, people were not supposed to have sexual desire or feel sexual desire. And mm-hmm. that is something that I'm still unpacking and doing work on uh, like, and probably will be for the rest of my life. Right. And, and so, uh, it is a lot it is something that i'm better able to conceptualize if i am talking about characters that are a little bit more removed from me mm-hmm. and that's something that i'm working on and i'm working towards like being able to write like a whole spectrum of characters and sexualities mm-hmm. the other thing that i like that I didn't think of at first when I started pondering these questions is that like when I write these books, I'm trying to come from a place of love and a place of joy. And like, this sounds like the worst non-apology of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I say that, what I mean specifically is that when I did the planning for this series, like I specifically created a slightly alternate world, a slightly alternate sports league where it doesn't have to be commented on if you have people of different races and different sexualities playing professional sports, mm-hmm. because it is really important that we have narratives where people are talking about the homophobia and the toxic masculinity that affects gay and bisexual and pansexual men. But 
that's not my experience. That's not what I'm writing about. But also, I wanted to write about a world where it wasn't about the fact that it was two men falling in love. Mm-hmm. It was about their specific relationship, who they were as people, the things that were obstacles to overcome for them to be together, but also like the rewards of being together. Mm-hmm. And not about homophobia, not about racism, just, just, you know, just about the people falling in love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, I I will say as a queer person that, like, it's really refreshing to consume queer stories that aren't about homophobia. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, it, that is already a reality of our lives. Um, as I say frequently when people are like, oh, this thing is so good, but, like, it's so dark. It's like, if I want to be depressed, I can watch the news. I yeah. can I can Google, uh, like, there's some stuff I think that is important, even though it deals with dark themes, but, like, I want to also have the option for joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, like, it it feels very much a lot of the time uh, that the stories of queer experience that center on homophobia, transphobia, any sort of queerphobia are in some ways, uh, like, written for the cishet gays Mm -hmm. to be like no really uh this is bad don't do it yeah (laughs) whereas like you know you get something like uh for instance she-ra and the princesses of power Mm -hmm. where there just isn't homophobia in that world yeah yeah and so that is that is the the type of media that i um creating and that is the type of media that i would like to consume Mm-hmm. so uh we're getting towards the end of the show at this point but before we go is there anything else that you have that you'd like to promote yeah um so I am actually working with a really lovely author that I met through Fandom Friends to help them publish their first sports romance, which is a uh, gay soccer romance. Fabulous. Very much in the vein of Haikyuu and other sports animes. And we're going to start, we're actually going to try something kind of new and we'll see how it goes. We're going to release it one chapter a week until we until it's done and then people can purchase the book uh but all but that way people can try a little taste see how they like it and then decide if they want to get into it it's called yellow card and i should have a link for that for you by the time the show goes up perfect and that link will be in the show notes as always listeners uh sarah where can our listeners find you elsewhere on the internet um, I am, well, I, as my Twitter profile says, I'm a Gemini bisexual with ADHD. So <laughs> I am everywhere, but, uh, these days mostly I hang out on Twitter 
my handle there is at S-L-O-C-H. Um, I also have a separate Twitter for my author stuff, but I have found that that is too much to keep up with, and so I have just stopped trying to keep my pseudonym <laughs> separate from my legal name for the time being. Um, that's and fair. So that's one of the best places to reach me, but you can also find out information about my books and my 7 million side projects at sarahlock.com. So that's S-A-R-A-H-L-O-C-H.com. Fabulous. And as always, links in the show notes. Sarah, thank you so, so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. Uh, listeners, join us again in two weeks when our guest will be author R.J. Theodore. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Ryan Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisniacs. If you like the show, Consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. Don't self-reject.